0: Chapter Number Twenty of the Mountain Girl This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Estenson. The Mountain Girl by Payne Erskine. Chapter Twenty In Which the Bishop and his Wife Pass an Eventful Day at the Fall Place. "'Do you know, James?' said Betty Towers, as she walked at her husband's side in the sweet morning, slowly climbing up to David's cabin from the fall place. "'I feel almost vexed with you for never bringing me here before. "'Why, my dear, yes I do. "'To think of all this loveliness. "'And for six years you've been here many times, "'and never once told me you knew a place hardly two hours away.' "'as entrancing as heaven. "'Even now, James, "'if it hadn't been for Cassandra, "'I wouldn't have come. "'Why, it's the loveliest spot on earth. "'Stand still a minute, James, and listen. "'That's a thrush. "'Oh, something smells so sweet. "'It's a locust. "'And that's a redbird's note. "'There he is, "'like a red blossom in those bushes.' There, no, there. You will look in the wrong direction, James, and now he's gone. You remember what David Thring wrote? It's good just to be alive. He's always saying that. And now I understand in such a place as this. Oh, just breathe the air, James. I certainly can't help doing that, dear. The bishop was puffing a little over the climb. His slight young wife took so easily. "'I don't care. Here I have lived in the cities all my life, while you have lived down here, and it has lost its charm to you. Only think of all this gorgeous display of nature just for these mountain people and what it is to them.' "'To them it's the natural order of things, just as you implied in regard to me.' "'Hark, James, now that's a catbird, "'And not a thrush?' "'The other was a thrush. I know the difference.' Wise little woman, come. There's that young man getting up a fever by fretting. We said, I said, we would come early. James, I'm going to stay up here and let you go to that stupid wedding down in Farrington without me. Perhaps we have something interesting up here if you'll hurry a little. What is it, James? I can't really say, dear. She took his hand and they walked on. Wouldn't this be an ideal spot to spend a honeymoon? Hear that fall away down below us? How cool it sounds? Why don't you pay attention to me? What are you thinking about, James? I'm making a little poem for you, dear. Listen. Chatter, chatter, little tongue. What a wonder how you're hung. Up above the epiglottis. Tied on with a little notice. Only geniuses may be silly, James, but perhaps you can't help it. I think married people ought to establish the custom of sabbatical honeymoons to counteract the divorce habit. Suppose we set the example, now we have arrived at just the right time for one, and spend ours here. Anything you say, dear. Being an absent-minded man, the bishop had fallen in the way of saying that, when, Had he paused to think, he would have admitted that everything was made to bend to his will or wish, by the spirited little being at his side. Moreover, being an absent-minded man, he drew her to him and kissed her. Aunt Sally, watching them from the cabin door, wondered if the bishop were going away on a journey to leave his wife behind, for why else should he kiss her thus? Will you sit there on the rock and enjoy the mountains while I see how he is? said the bishop. So they parted at the door, and Aunt Sally brought her a chair and stood beside her, giving her every detail of the affair as far as she knew it. She sat bareheaded in the sun, to Sally's amazement, for she had her hat in her lap and could have worn it. The wind blew wisps of her fine, straight hair across her pink cheeks and in her eyes, as she gazed out upon the Blue Mountains and listened to Sally's tale of how it all come about. For Sally went back into the family history of the Teasleys and the Caswells and the Merlins and the Farewells, until Betty forgot the flight of time, and the bishop called her. Then she went in to see David— He had worked his right hand free from its bandages, and was able to lift it a little. She took it in hers, and looked brightly down at him. "'Dr. Thring, you look better than when you were in Farrington, doesn't he, James? Aunt Sally gave me to understand you were nearly dead.' David laughed happily. "'I was, but I'm very much alive now. I'm to be married, Mrs. Towers.' OUR WEDDING IS TO BE QUITE COME IL faut. IT IS TO BE AT HIGH NOON AND THE CEREMONY PERFORMED BY A BISHOP. JAMES! BETTY DROPPED INTO A CHAIR AND LOOKED HELPLESSLY AT HER HUSBAND. YOU HAVEN'T YOUR VESTMENTS HERE. I HAVE ALL I NEED, DEAR. YOU KNOW, DOCTOR, FROM MR. BELOW'S TELEGRAM, WE WERE LED TO EXPECT A DEATH INSTEAD OF A WEDDING, DAVID FINISHED. Betty turned to him. "'Why didn't you tell us when you were down? You never gave the slightest hint of your state of mind. And there I was with my heart aching for Cassandra, when you, you stood ready to save her. I'm so glad for Cassandra. I could hug you, Dr. Thring.' Suddenly she turned on her husband. "'James, have you thought of everything, all the consequences?' what will his mother and the family over in England say? James threw up his hand and laughed. "'Don't laugh, James. Have you thought this all out, doctor? Are you sure you can make them understand over there? Won't they think this is awfully irregular? Will they ever be reconciled? I know how they are. My father was English.' They never need be reconciled. It's our affair, and there's nothing to call me back there to live. What I do, or whom I make my wife, is nothing to them. I may visit my mother, of course, but for the rest, they gave me up years ago, when I had no use for the life they mapped out for me. I have nothing to inherit there. It would go to my older brother anyway. I may follow my own inclination, thank God and is for its being irregular. On the contrary, we are distinguished enough to have a bishop perform the ceremony. That will be considered a great thing at home when they do come to hear of it. But it is very sudden, doctor. I suppose that's why I said irregular. Betty Towers paused a moment with a little frown, then laughed outright. Does Cassandra know she is to be married today? She learned the fact yesterday, incidentally, bless her, and her only objection was a most feminine one. She had no proper dress. She said she was wearing her best when she found me, but I told her the trousseau was to come later. Betty rose with impulsive importance. Well, james, we've so little time, I must go and help her prepare. And you'll rest now, won't you, doctor? You stay up here with him, James, and I'll find some way of sending your things up. Thar's hoyle He can help a piece, he can ride the mule and tote anything ye like, and Slarthy. I reckon ye can get her up here on my horse. It's Thar at her place, said Sally, who had been standing in the doorway, keenly interested. When they were alone, she said to David it's a right queer way of doing things getting married in bed. But if Bishop Toz do it, it sure must be all right, lest ways Cassandra'll think so. David took the superintendence of the arrangement of his cabin upon himself, and Hoke Bellew, with the bishop's aid, carried out his directions. One side of his canvas room was rolled to the top, leaving the place open to the hills, and the beauty without. His bed was placed so that he might face the open space, and that Cassandra could kneel at his right side. His writing table, draped with a white cloth and covered with green hemlock boughs, formed the altar. It was all very quickly and simply done, and then David lay quiet, with closed eyes, listening to his musicians in the tree tops fluting their own gladness, while Hoke below went down below, and the bishop sat out on the rock and meditated. Cassandra came up to the cabin alone, and sat with David, while the bishop donned his priestly vestments, and the wedding procession wound slowly up the trail from the fall place, decorously and gravely, clad in their best. Azalea and Betty came, Side by side, the mother rode Sally's speckled white horse, and Little Hoyle ran on ahead. Hoke carried his baby in his arms. Behind them, all rode Uncle Jerry Carew, full of the liveliest interest and curiosity. Said David, This is May Day. I know what they're doing at home now, if the weather will let them. They're having gay times with out-of-door feats. The country girls are wearing their prettiest gowns, and the men are wearing sprigs of May in their buttonholes. Where did you get your roses? Azalee brought them. Who put them in your hair? Mrs. Towas did that. Do you like me this way? You're the loveliest being my eyes ever rested on. This was my best dress last year. I did it up and mended it this morning. It's home-woven like the one I... like the other one you said you liked. David smiled, looking up into the gray eyes with the green lights and blue depths in them. How serene and poised her manner was, on the verge of the momentous step she was about to take while his own heart was beating high. He wondered if she really comprehended the change it was to make in her life, that she showed no apprehension or fear. "'Cassandra, do you realize in fifteen minutes you will be my wife? It will be a great change for you, dearest, in spite of all I can do. You may be sad sometimes.' "'and I may ask of you things you don't want to do. "'I've been sad already in my life "'and done things I didn't want to do. "'I don't guess you could change that. "'Only God could. "'And you don't feel in the least disturbed? "'Your heart doesn't beat any harder "'nor breath come quicker? "'Tell me how you feel.' "'She smiled and drew a long breath. "'I don't know how it is.' everything is right peaceful and sweet outside, the sky and the hills and all the birds, even the wind is still in the trees, like everything was waiting for something good to happen. In your heart, is it sweet and peaceful too, and waiting for something good to happen? Yes, David. God forgive me if I ever fail you, he said, drawing her down to him, God make me worthy of you. Then the bishop entered, and the little procession followed, and gathered about, while the solemn words of the service were uttered. Cassandra knelt at David's side, as together they partook of the bread and wine, and with the worn circlet of gold, which had been tied to her father's little green books, They were pronounced man and wife. Then rising from her knees, she bent and kissed David, the long first kiss of the wedded pair, and turned her gravely happy face to the bishop, who admitted to Betty afterward that he had never kissed a bride other than his own with such unalloyed satisfaction. It was all over quickly, and Cassandra was standing in a new world. Her eyes shone with the love light no longer held back and veiled. She accompanied them all to the door and parted from them, even her mother and little Hoyle, as a hostess parting from her guests. She would not allow any one to stay behind, for the wedding feast had been spread in her mother's house, and thither they repaired to eat, and talk everything over mother felt right bad to leave us alone she meant to bring everything up and all eat together here but i thought it would be better just we two and me to set things out for you lie quiet and close your eyes david and make out like you're sleeping while i do it with perfect contentment he obeyed and lay watching her through half-closed lids it was always the same vision. She moved between him and a halo of light that seemed to be part of her and go with her, now at his bedside, now bending before the fireplace. At last the small pine table, which had served as an altar, was set with their first meal. The home was established. He opened his eyes and looked at the feast she had set before him the pink rose was still in her hair and one at her throat and two perfect ones were in a glass near his plate the table was drawn close to his bedside and strawberries were upon it and a glass pitcher of cream there were white beaten biscuit and tea as he had made it for her so long ago on her first and only visit to his cabin when he was at home so she had made it for him now There were chicken and green peas also. How quickly everything has happened, how perfect it all is. How did you get all these things together? So she told him where everything came from. Mother turned the butter to have it right fresh, and she left it without salt for you, like you said you used to have it in England. Uncle Jerry brought the peas from his garden and shelled them himself i made the biscuit this morning and aunt sally fried the chicken when she came down and azalee prepared the peas and we all kept them hot in the fireplace theirs down there and ours up here cassandra laughed merrily i reckon it looked funny everyone carried something when they came up hoyle had the peas in a tin pail and mother rode aunt sally's speckle and carried the biscuit in a pan in front shut your eyes and you can see them come that way david while i sit here with you talking and feeling that happy don't try to use your right hand that way i can see it hurts you let me go on feeding you like i am don't i do it right perfectly but i want you to bring that cushion over here and put it under my pillow so i won't have to lift my head that's right now i want to see you eat You can't feed me and yourself at the same time. You won't? Then we'll take it turnabout. How have you managed these days? Did Aunt Sally feed you? Oh, I don't believe you ate anything. You couldn't, could you? She spoke so sadly he laughed. It's a lucky thing you sent for the bishop instead of the doctor, or I would have no wife and would have starved to death. I couldn't have survived another day. Again she laughed out, as she seemed so suddenly to have learned to do. And I would have stayed away and let you starve to death? You must open your mouth, David, and not try to talk now. Ah, no, that's enough. We've a thousand things to say and plans to make. You eat while I talk. When I am up, we must find someone to stay with your mother. She should not be left alone. Cassandra paled a little. He was watching her face. You will be staying up here with me, you know, all the time. Yes, I know. Her throat seemed to tighten, and she looked off towards the hills as was her way. Don't you like the thought of staying up here with me? Make your confession, dearest one. He drew her down to look in his eyes. It's done. We are man and wife. Her eyes swam with tears, but her lips smiled. I do, I do want to bide with you. All the way before me now looks like a long path of light, like what I've dreamed, sometimes when the moon shines long, the mists at night. Only one place I can't quite see. It is shadow or not. Perhaps it's only the thought of mother down there alone she spoke dreamily and with the same look of seeing things beyond except that now she fixed her eyes not on the mountain top but on his own is it in my eyes you see the long path of light are we together in it i see you always with the light about you i saw you so first in your own home before the blazing fire such a hearth-fire as I have never seen before. You have appeared to me in my dreams with light about you ever since, and in my visions when I have been riding over these hills alone. What are you seeing now? You, as you helped me that first time there in the snow, you looked so ill, but your way was strong, and I thought all at once in a flash, like it came from... Goon. Like it came from my father. One will come for you. She hid her face in his bosom, and her words came smothered and brokenly. All the ride home, I put them away, but they would come back, his words, on the mountain top, One will come for you. But we were in such trouble. I thought it was just the thought of my father, it's always strongest when trouble comes, like he would comfort me. Don't you have it also when happiness comes to you, as on this morning while we waited together? No great happiness like this ever came before. I have been glad, like when Mother said I might go to Farrington to school, and when I knelt and was confirmed. I was glad then. The first gladness I can remember was when my father used to carry me in his arms up and down his path and repeat strange poetry to me. When you are well, we will go there, won't we? Yes, dearest. But didn't that remembrance come to you just now, when you saw the long path of light before us? I think no, David. I'm afraid I forgot everyone but you, then, when you asked what I liked to bide here with you and the long path of light was our love, for it reaches up to heaven. Doesn't it, David? It reaches to heaven, Cassandra. They were silent, for there was no more to say. End of chapter 20. Recording by Sandra Estenson.